Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Chris, can you yell out Big Meech for me? Big Meech? Zach, you do it now. Big Meech? <laughs> you guys are the best. All right, welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host, Brendan Sedone, joined by Chris Nee, Zach Lostein. On three, we're going to out Big Meech. Ready? One, two, three. Big Meech! Big Meech. Good. Wow, Chris. Wow, Chris. I'm going to use the You're recording. one out of me. Yeah, I'm going to put that. I'm going to integrate it in. Yeah, just right dub it in. Dub it in. I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. You don't think you I will? You be like you Mother think... Falcon during Die Hard on TBS. So this is on the bench, and we have we almost did an instant reaction emergency pod, but I wanted to tap the brakes a little bit on it. Just I gotta set the bar somewhere. I can't do an emergency pod whenever there's a commitment. But when it, there is an offensive line commitment and a transfer of starting experience, it does at least make you think, ah, maybe we should pull the trigger on the instant reaction pod. Anyways, Tuesday morning, let it soaked in. FSU got a commitment on Monday evening. From Dimitri Emanuel, a three-year starter from Charlotte, someone who entered the portal earlier in May. Uh, we believed FSU was in on him almost immediately and uh, ends up coming to fruition. He commits to Florida State. Chris, well, both both you guys, I guess all three of us kind of took different times and turns uh, trying to to get a, a finger uh, on the pulse of this recruitment. But Chris, I'll let you take the lead on what we know of Dimitri Emanuel, how it kind of all played out uh, with this recruiting process, uh, with the caveat that Dimitri has not has opted to not do an interview when, when have we have reached out to him. I mean, he was a multi-year guy at Charlotte who's played in a lot of games. He played with Alex Atkins in year one. Therefore, there's a relationship right there. He officially entered the portal in early May, but I think he was looking prior to that. FSU obviously landed him. Miami, Boston College were a couple other offers that he put out there during that transfer process. He'll come in, probably contribute immediately at guard. Wouldn't it shock me if he competes for a starting spot at guard? Could he play tackle? Yeah, he could get away with it, but I don't really think he's built to be a tackle. I think he's more a guy that really fortifies you and strengthens you at the guard spots. Shocking. Chris is pegging people at guard. It took two minutes into the podcast for that to happen. Uh, Zach, do you have any insight into the recruiting process here? Anything that the listeners should know about in addition to what Chris threw out there? Yeah, I mean, um, he kept it a quiet recruiting process, didn't announce visits. You know, he posted two offers. Obviously, you know, the two offers he posted were Miami and Boston College. We reported on Nose 24-7 that, you know, FSU is fully interested. They would take him, take his commitment. Um, so I don't know, you know, what that was about. I don't know if, like, that was, you know, FSU, you know, telling him put out that Miami offer, um, you know, just so we can show that, that we beat out Miami. I don't know. But no, um, no, that's not what. No, we're not going to let that. No, no. OK, we're, ta- we're um, taking the win. We're taking the win. FSU, uh, Mike stuffed, stuffed Mario in a locker. That's okay. what the, that's what the Twitter is saying. What's the record now between Mike and, and Mario? Well, for transfer targets, it's pretty good for Mike. For prep prospects, not as good. 
So it depends on what you value. Yeah, they because they beat him out for what? Tatum Bethune, uh, Jared Verse. Jared Verse, yep. I don't know who else did they go head-to-head for. Anyone? I don't think so. Anyone else in the transfer market? And then the prep and the prep market, uh, who did they get? The uh, Wesley Besaint, I guess two and coaches. Nigel Kelly. Nigel Kelly was the big one. So yeah, three to three to two for Mike so far. Okay, it's a All pretty right. good record. Um, one more, one more from advancing uh, to the next round. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, to add on to Dimitri Emmanuel's recruitment to Florida State, um, we're pretty sure he visited Florida State within the. You know, we are sure that he visited Florida State with within the month of May. Um, and he made it to campus yesterday with the full intent to enroll at FSU. And that's what happened. And he announced his commitment to FSU uh, later yet on Monday evening. I to can a little go ahead. Uh, I was going to say I could confirm that that he is enrolled or the process is pretty heavily into him enrolling. So that seems to be good to go. So he's he's at Florida State. I would imagine they announce him fairly soon. And to provide a little clarity on terms. I don't think he ever technically took an official visit here, uh, but yes, he did visit here prior to coming in yesterday and enrolling. I went out of my way when I wrote what I wrote early yesterday to not call it a visit and just leave it as was. Dimitri I called it a visit. You did, and I considered coming to your house and slapping you around silly, but I'm not that guy, and HR would not approve. Mm, we already have video of that. That's my nuclear option if I ever get get fired i'm taking everyone down with me uh if you came to my house and slapped me chris you had been visiting my house and slapping me even if you stayed there for a while or left right away so it would have been a visit i'm not here for your semantics james blackman was in the transfer portal no he wasn't damn it but he did enter it Yeah, not today, though. All right, so uh, I gave Chris a little bit of a hard time on him saying Dimitri Emmanuel is probably a guard because Chris loves to do that, but uh, he is totally spot on. That I think Dimitri, uh, Dimitri Emmanuel projects as a guard uh, at the Power 5 level. He has the ability to play tackle in a pinch. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State maybe tries him out there a little bit during a preseason camp. But ultimately, I think we will see Dimitri Emanuel occupy the right guard spot, which was kind of a, a mixed bag in spring practice. That was a bit of an unknown. So I think he fills a pretty big void there. I, Chris, you mentioned that you think he'll compete to start. My assumption, I would say 95% sure that he begins the year as a starter as long as he's healthy throughout camp and, and has a full camp to, to get going. Do you agree? Yes, I do. I think that he has an excellent chance of being the starter opposite of Dylan Gibbons at guard spots. So let's get into what, well, is there anything else we want to talk about Dimitri Emanuel's game? I did a scouting report on him. Anything that we noticed from watching film, talking to sources, the analytics, metrics, anything else we want to talk about with this game before we start projecting what the offensive line will look like with a minute? Well, it's just another example of on the offensive line. It's better in some cases, especially when you're trying to fix what's been a mess for a long, long time here to go get someone who is a college-ready body, who's been in strength and conditioning, who's been through the snaps of playing the game at a higher level, who can just plug and play. And that kind of allows a uh, patience to be built in for the guys who are behind them, who you hope will be your future at the position, but need time, whether it's getting healthy, like in the case of Thomas Schrader, or just getting bigger in the case of like a Marie Smith at center with Caden Lyles. There's a reason that you keep stockpiling these more veteran guys. This isn't something you probably want to do long term, 
But short term, it allows that position to be rehabilitated to the point where it needs to be. Rehabilitated is a really interesting phrase there, Chris, because the way I look at it, if we can get into the impact of adding Demetri Emanuel uh, and kind of flesh this out a little bit more, but in addition to him getting there to be a starter and a veteran, think about like what Darius Washington, Maurice Smith, even Robert Scott to maybe a little bit of a lesser extent have had to go through physically during their time at Florida state with some of the injuries they've had to battle through those being guys who had to play as either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen uh, pretty early on earlier than you would ideally like. Uh, some of the bumps and bruises that you had that you probably sustain that at least anecdotally is like more likely to occur uh, when you're not like physically developed to the point you should be. Uh, so kind of allowing you to pump the brakes a little bit on those guys potentially, or even more so some of like the, the five or six freshmen that you have come in and allowed them to have a couple of years of seasoning. That's ultimately the healthy spot where you want to be uh, as a program, as you develop the offensive line. So I think that's why you go and you get a veteran. That's why it was such a big deal to grab at least one in the portal. Uh, Zach, do you have thoughts on, on Meech's game? Anything that stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, from the clips you posted on the scouting report on Nelson 24-7, um, I mean, I think that's exactly what FSU needs, right? They need, you know, bad dudes along the offensive line, um, and I think he's that. Uh, you know, I'd like to see him, you know, plug in there at guard like you guys were, were talking about and, and make an early contribution because I think – just having him um, in that top seven to eight group is just so helpful because of the lack of depth that has persisted here all along the offensive line in the past few years. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he's a huge help to that room. Um, even if, you know, maybe he doesn't start, but I, I think he will. Um, but even if he doesn't start, he's going to be that, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth guy in the room. And I think uh, that's you know super valuable in itself. Yeah, I think Meech has a lot of uh, – he's got some grit to him. You see that in his film that he will keep blocking guys like through the echo of the whistle. Uh, there's an example of a good old-fashioned teabag and a pass block rep as well, uh, where he found the guy uh, after kind of chucking him down. Very strong, compact build at six foot two, but a lot of strength, both lower body and upper body. has good punch with his hands. I think it'll be a little limited, like in, in some spatial settings, like when you try to get him polling or stuff like that. I think that's where it, against a higher class, a power five team, he could be limited uh, to where I think that probably puts a cap like on his pro prospects. But for what you need him for uh, this season as just a solid veteran who helps really solidify the offensive line and the interior spot, like I think that's going to be an upgrade, certainly an upgrade from, you know, hobbled Devontae Love-Taylor. Uh, what he was kind of a shell of himself last year, not 100% from the injury, which gets us to the impact of adding this this veteran off the line transfer in the manual. Uh, you're able to basically, Zach alluded to this, instead of having, you, you want to have seven to eight capable offensive linemen to get through the course of the season because there's going to be injuries. That's football, especially in the trenches, it's going to happen. Uh, last year, FSU was having to do one of two things, either playing injured players like Robert Scott, Murray Smith, guys who weren't 100% because they didn't have better options. Or Devontae Love-Taylor is another example of that, someone who played through physical limitations and just wasn't himself, wasn't what he was the prior year. Or they would have to turn to uh, basically a, a veteran who was not a starting caliber player, or even a replacement level power five 
backup like Bavion Johnson or Brady Scott. So as we kind of look and consider what the starting lineup's going to be and what the reserves are going to be, I think you're looking at a healthier, you know, seven man rotation, maybe eight if Thomas Schrader gets in there. So what do we think the starting lineup's going to look like, fellas? Let's go left to right. Chris, I know your brain works right to left with the offensive line, but let's try to try to do the other way. Left tackle. Robert Scott. Mm-hmm. I think so. As well, left guard. I mean, it will be interesting. It could. It's the two guards are going to be Gibbons and Emmanuel. Right. It will be interesting who they pair with who because how they see it working the best. Sure. Now, last year they put Gibbons on the left side, and they wanted Robert Scott. They wanted their two best run blockers to be next to each other, and I would imagine that's probably going to be the case again. Uh, but yeah, for the sake of this exercise, let's say likely Dylan Gibbons at left guard. Center. That's where this is where it gets a little interesting, right? I think it will be Caden Lyles, but we didn't see him very healthy in spring, so I kind of limited the view of being able to see what he will be with this group. But they brought him in to be the starter and to buy Marie Smith more time to become a bigger, better player than he is currently. His weight's been a big issue for him, as we've mm-hmm. documented on this show quite a t- few times. So I'm going to go with Caden Lyles, but I don't think that's a slam dunk like we once thought it was when they brought in a Wisconsin transfer. And I don't – so I know that's been a lot of the talk out of spring was Caden Lyles, from the eye test to what he did on the field, they didn't quite match up with each other. When you first see him walking onto the field, he just looks like what you want a power five offensive lineman to look like, right? Uh, but some issues with quickness, with foot movement, I think he gets exposed a little bit in some one-on-one settings uh, to where you kind of have to pick and choose. Do you want a power – a base anchor type like a Caden Lyles. Do you want someone a little bit quicker like Murray Smith? And you have to give up a little bit, you know, with one, one or the other uh, to kind of play to strength. Uh, people were concerned that Caden Lyles didn't run away with the starting job. Everything that we've heard, and this is for multiple people, uh, FSU is not concerned about that dynamic at this point. Like they, they still, they brought in Caden Lyles to start as Chris mentioned. Uh, I think competition is ultimately going to be healthy and a good thing. But yeah, I don't think Florida State is as alarmed with like him not jumping in and, and just starting taking over the starting spot right away. I think right? they were I, also I think pleased that Maurice stepped up to the competition. Yeah. Maurice didn't just roll over and play dead and say, "Hey, here's your job." And I think to some degree that's a positive. But we all know Maurice needs to get bigger. There was an issue late in last season where Maurice simply got blown off the ball because he did not have enough weight on frame to do what he needs to do as a center at this level of football. Happened in 2020 as well. It's been two years in a row where Maurice has kind of has worn down as the season's gone on. That's what happens if you start the year at 285 pounds or so. A lot of offensive linemen get smaller as the year goes on because you're dealing with with bumps and bruises and not able to lift as much. And and so, yeah, you, you lose some weight. And I think the flu at the end of the year, that really limited a lot of the offensive linemen. You just look at the way FSU ran the ball at the end of the season. Far less effect, effective. They did a lot more counters. Uh, I'll write an article on that sometime this this summer, but yeah, they did a lot of things to try to mask like that. They couldn't just beat guys, you know, in straight up you know, power situations or gap blocking. They had to use a lot of uh, polling to create extra, extra angles and leverage points. So uh, yeah, that's why you need Caden Lyles and, and maybe Darius Washington is a name too. That's got some cross training at center before uh, to see if he could add competition there. So right guard, we have then if Dylan Gibbons is likely at left guard, we have Demetri Emanuel at right guard. Then that brings us to right tackle. Zach, any any hunch or indication of what you think right tackle will look like? 
I mean, I don't know. It's tough. I, I think Darius Washington, if he's healthy, right? Like between him or Les Harris. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It's tough because Darius Washington obviously doesn't have a, you know, prototypical tackle build. Um, but we saw him work at guard uh, this spring. He, I, I thought he looked better at tackle personally. Um, but, you know, Les Harris, if he can trim his weight down a little bit, I think he's a guy that could, could play right tackle. But right now, if I'm projecting it, a healthy Darius Washington, I'll project him into the right tackle spot. Yeah, and on the subject of Bless Harris, I mean, the talk of Bless when he came in was that he was always going to be a capable starter, but definitely a great swing lineman. The, the addition of Emmanuel allows that. It allows you to put five out there you feel comfortable with, but your six is an excellent substitution, man, who you're you're going to use because, one, O-line can get hurt, and two, in-game, sometimes a dude just needs a series off because either he's sucking wind or, you know, he got the, you know, what beat out of him on the last series, or he just needs a moment to re-get his composure back. And I think Bless Harris gives you that ability where last year it was a, as you mentioned earlier, a baby on Johnson or uh, Brady Scott. Yeah, so that's the upgrade is when you start getting to the depth a little bit. Like if Murray Smith is coming off the bench to play like 200 snaps in a season rather than 500, like that, that lessens some of the physical toll that, has limited him in past years. Same thing if you're bringing Bless Harris off the bench. Uh, I think that's an upgrade over Brady Scott or Bavion Johnson. And uh, and that's where we get into the starting right tackle. Like, all right, Bless Harris has a tackle you know, wingspan and, and build. Uh, I thought he looked solid in the spring. Definitely someone who's going to be able to help in some capacity or another. But, you know, if they had gotten uh, a Marius Mims, I think there's a really good chance that Robert Scott would have slid over to right tackle. Mims would have been at left tackle. And then Bless Harris is either at guard or Darius Washington's at guard, or right guard, so that they're competing for that. So instead, you got Demetri Emanuel at right guard. So I think, again, it's kind of an interesting dynamic of, like, is it Darius Washington who's going to be the, the guy you bump down to the reserve, or is it going to be Bless Harris? Uh, they think Bless Harris can play guard or tackle. And Darius Washington, we know they think that he can play guard, center, or tackle. They, we know for a fact that he can play tackle because he – did so at, at a pretty solid level last year. So yeah, you, all of a sudden you have options and you have can have this discussion to where you can feel like, okay, there's there's some depth here where there's at least seven that we feel solid about. Is there anyone else who we think could get into that mix, into that, like make it eight at this point? That, that's kind of where I still think there's some questions where you start eating into the depth a little bit more than you may feel comfortable with. I mean, I'll stand for Thomas Schrader. I think they love Thomas Schrader. The issue for Thomas is that he's coming off an injury, was limited in the spring as he was coming off that injury, but he came back from that injury in the spring, which was a positive. I don't know if he's a guy out of the gate that you can rely on, but I think he's a guy that can help you down the stretch. Thomas Schrader is tough as nails, which is nice. He's got very good strength. He's a guy that drives well, and they just like him, and I think he has the right mindset. I think he's a guy that can be a very serviceable additional piece for them if you're able to get him some very good reps this year, it's going to really pay off for you long-term. Again, it's about patience in the process and developing some of these guys who are behind guys to be the next guys up so you don't have to keep tapping into the portal to be a good serviceable O-line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who I would go with as well, Chris, is probably Thomas Schrader as the next man up. I guess maybe Lloyd Willis as the eighth guy. Uh, I still think that's just a year away from... I'm selling on Lloyd. At this point? Yeah, I just... Uh, 
Maybe it happens. Uh, sometimes O-line is one of those positions where you get one good year out of a guy at the end of his career, but it's a really good year. Maybe Lloyd is that kind of guy. I'm not going to say he's incapable of that. I just don't know if it's going to happen. He was so raw when he came in, and he's improved immensely, but he still feels like a guy who's a ways off from playing. And I feel like FSU at this point is trying to recruit over that type of situation. Or at the very least, they're trying to assure themselves that they don't aren't forced to play Lloyd. I, mean, I think that's kind of where we're at right now as well. It's like you're, you're trying to get to the point to where he's your maybe your ninth or tenth guy if, if things get catastrophically bad with injuries, uh, rather than him being the first guy off the bench or second guy off the bench. So, uh, yeah, I think that's where we're at with offensive line recruiting. And I kind of allude to this now. I don't think they're done. Is that safe assumption? Like I think that if if the numbers work out as RIP Josh Newberg would say, uh, then maybe you can find uh, one or two other offensive line prospects in the mix here of the time camp starts. Well, we see him in the JUCO uh, ranks with an official visit set from Makai Lee coming in. Lee's got to pass a math course to make sure he's able to be qualified. But if he is, he's a 22 addition that I think very likely ends up here. He, uh, When I spoke to him, when FSU set up the official, which was late last week, he told me FSU, Houston, and Kansas were the three main schools in his recruitment. FSU has not yet offered, but I think that happens potentially on the visit if that math course is going in the right direction. He added Mizzou as an offer after we spoke. He talked to Alan True, one of our national guys in the Midwest, uh, yesterday, or maybe it was Sunday evening and Alan wrote it yesterday, and said FSU and Mizzou are his top two. So there's two different top lists, one school, same in both of them. I think one of those schools is one and not two. Ooh. Ooh. So. And then and any other names that we should, uh, Zach, that we should be aware of on the offensive line? Yeah, I'm literally about to post an article on those 24-7. Direct topic, but uh, South Carolina offensive line transfer, Justin Turnin, Turnitine. Turn, I, um, I say Turpentine. Yeah, something like that. As long as it's not um, turnstile, am I right? Uh, yeah, he entered the portal in late April. Um, Florida State's been in contact with him. I spoke with him, I think it was around the time he entered the portal, and kind of explained that FSU was was pursuing him to an extent. Um, he's got some academic work to finish up before he's able to enroll at his next stop. But if that all goes through, um, you know, I think FSU could get in, you know seriously involved with his recruitment. Um, I plan to check up with him soon and just see how that's going. But, uh, but yeah, uh, we know FSU's in contact. Wait, so what were you going to? What are you posting now? Uh, posting, uh, I'm posting an article saying what's next in FSU's offense uh, following gotcha. the addition of Dimitri Emanuel. Gotcha, gotcha. I thought I was specific a scoop on on turpentine. No, turpentine. No. There's some scoop in there though. Ooh, all right. Check out Knowles 24/7 for some scoop. Some juicy Zach scoop. Any other names on the offensive line right now? I think those are the two of focus of, of potentially adding, right? Yeah, and then you have the freshman enrollees, the 2022 signees. Um, and Tavis Woody update, please. And Tay yeah. Woody me. Uh, yeah, so Tay Woody, um, he's dealing with a similar thing, you know, you know, an academic holdup. Uh, latest intel suggests that he could be good to enroll later this summer um, based on him completing some summer courses, you know, we'll keep monitoring it, but um, that's the latest T 
on Antavius Woody heading into, uh, you know, his enrollment within the next few months. Tay so Woody, you don't expect like, him to be walking on Damn campus it, Chris. right now. I made a I great dad joke. I made a great dad joke and you stepped all over it. Thanks, Chris, for talking over him. You're welcome, buddy. All right, real quick before we move on from O-line. What, when we talk about the starting five of this group, how we project it, what will they be good at? I mean, they're always good at run blocking under Alex Atkins. Yeah. Like, I think that's been steady. And I, and I think and I think they've uh, upgraded in that regard. Well, Dimitri Emanuel is going to be better than what Devontae Love-Taylor was last year. I think Devontae Love-Taylor, healthy, was a better prospect than, than Dimitri Emanuel. Uh, but not, not markedly better, maybe just like a tier above. I think the PFF grades kind of bear that out from what they did at, at the group of five level. But just having Dimitri Emanuel as like a solid, gritty, strong inside run blocker, like, yeah, I think they'll be good at that. You you seem to agree, Chris? Yeah, I think they are going to be able to lay pavement in the middle of the field. I think they're going to be able to line up, go forward, and push. And that's an upgrade by itself. FSU hasn't been the greatest at generating a push at the point of attack. Yeah, what was it? Boston College last year, where Maurice was getting blown back on some short yardage situations, to where you just you can't operate an offense like that's one thing to get neutralized is another to to be a yard or two into the backfield. Um, so yeah, if, if you can beef that up and and right guard was kind of a cluster as well, especially as the season went on. Yeah, I, I think I think it'll be. We've talked about this for a little while now. Like, as you're trying to push to be average on the offensive line, like, I don't know if Emmanuel gets you there, but I think he does serve as an insurance policy of like, uh, there should be a, I love using this phrase, a baseline of competency to where like a lot of things would have to go wrong for you to be below average, well below average, to be bad. Uh, so I think you kind of, you buy yourself some, some insurance there. You didn't see this coming, but we're going to play Byers and Own real quick. Bye, baby, bye. I am Sinoning it, but not. No. I'm going to Sinone it. I'm definitely Sinoning that. Big Sinone. I buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Sinone both of you. You can't out Sinone us. We're doing a little buyer Sinone. Find Sinone. This segment is going to die because you are allowing the fans to do it. I don't know. No, I'm Sinoning it. No, I'm buying it. Whew, confusing game. Buying it. Best O-line of the music. Mike Norvell era. Oh, bye. I mean, yeah, bye. It, it's not a high Best O-line of the Willie Tegger and Mike Norvell era. Bye. Best O-line since 2016. So does that include the 2016? Yes. Ooh, 2016 had... Rod Johnson. 2016 was capable. Yeah, I think I think Sinone, like I think 2016 was better. I think where the sweet spot is is 2017, uh, yeah. where they they had some weaknesses. They weren't good, but they weren't anywhere near like the 2018, just abysmal, uh, unmanageable one. So so also known. I don't know if I'm ready to say that'll be a 2016 like average offensive line yet, but it's close. I think they're more in that neighborhood though. We can have that conversation. Yeah, I'm with you, especially if you add one more piece to it. Hmm. Chris, look at you throwing out throwing a little curveball, changing it up a little bit. If you do pods on Tuesday, I'm much more like with it. On Monday, no. Like I'm I'm trying to recover. Weekends aren't oh. weekends for me. We'll just do it on Tuesdays from there on out. I like a I like Chris throwing throwing a new move in the bedroom, if you know what I mean. Wrap it up, man. 
Yeah, in the bedroom. You're oh, dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're one away from me just ending. Leave studio. Uh, we're almost we're almost done. <laughs> so uh, the latest episode as as the defensive backboard turns. Uh, Zach, help me out. What's happening with the the DB board? I feel like it, I feel like a new name enters, and then within a week or two, a new name that name is kind of dust in the wind. I just I'm not help me. It's a conveyor belt right now. I mean, we get a new name. Um, they lock in an official visit. It seems like either right before the official visit or right after they're going to commit to like some, you know, I, I think the the latest one was the ULM defensive back transfer, Josh Newton. He committed to TCU um, the week before he was, or this week, um, and he was scheduled to take an official visit to Florida State this past weekend. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but yeah, I mean, now we have a new name, six foot three defensive back, Jaden Pearson, scheduled to official visit Florida State in late June. Uh, Dane Draper broke the news on that. Shout out, Dane. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It, it seems like we got a new name, um, especially in the Juco rank. Like, they're really intrigued by Juco defensive backs that are over six foot two for some reason. Like, I mean, obviously, um, like, I get it. Uh, with, with, the, with the size and, and the need at corner or, you know, I mean, Jaden Pearson's listed as a safety in our rankings. I haven't looked at his film, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely weird. Um, I wouldn't describe it as there's no, it doesn't seem like there's a direct and like replicable rhyme and reason to what they're doing at this position. Um, yeah. It doesn't, I mean, what, it doesn't seem urgent though. It doesn't seem urgent. Does it Zach? Like it doesn't seem like they're, rushing to like get a commitment either it's like they clearly want one i don't feel like they're putting on a full court press for anyone either like it's just yeah that, that's, what, that's how i would explain it it's like it's like they'll have like one staff member in communication usually if they want a kid they're going to have multiple staff staff mem- or members on the staff just you know constantly hitting him up and, and in contact with him um but yeah this seems different it doesn't seem like they're in in that much of a you know need to, to to fill this spot um but they do keep finding new targets they keep usually setting up official visits with them you know we saw uh, i think it was in late april they they had a few guys on campus and sometimes it seems like they're just getting them on campus to evaluate them in person like get mm-hmm. you know verified height weight measurements on them um so maybe that's the case with with some of these guys but yeah i mean it's just a weird deal um, I wouldn't, ex- you know, explain it as traditional at all. It feels like ghosts of two years ago haunting them to some degree when they got down to three corners where they just don't want to be in a situation where the numbers get that tight. But conversely on that, I think they expected some more attrition from that room, potentially portal-wise. It never happened, so they're not really in a situation where, in my opinion, it's a pressing need. And truthfully, I don't know if they're going to find somebody that helps them a whole heck of a lot. I don't think the portal developed in that regard at that position where there's a whole lot of options. And I don't know that you maybe you find somebody in Juco. Juco is kind of a different deal right now because of that COVID year for some guys in there that shouldn't have been in Juco. Um, or you find a guy who is talented and was in Juco for the Juco reasons. But I, I don't know. Nobody that they've recruited at that spot other than Newton has particularly appealed to me. And while I like Newton, I don't know if he upgrades you from a one deep standpoint probably does from a two deep standpoint maybe that's what they're aiming for but that's not an easy sell in my opinion well i don't know that newton comes here as a starter yeah i think newton comes here as a contributor 
I think he probably would have started, but I'm with you, Chris. Like, I don't know if I could say for sure. Like, I feel far more confident that Demetri Emanuel starts game one than I would have if if Josh Newton would have. I think he, he probably would have played a lot of snaps. Uh, Put but he goes way. to TC. I like he AZ goes to Thomas. Yeah. I like AZ Thomas and Sam McCall a hell of a lot. I'm ready to ride with them and see what you got at that position instead of putting a, a older body in between them and where they might be on the depth chart. I think they do too. I think it's kind of just to get an insurance to like where you're not forcing those guys to do trial by fire, like in game two or three, like you're trying to allow yeah. them kind of I'm like here them. for it. Wait, I mean, think about Omar. We're not playing for a national championship this year. I, I know. I, I know, but it is so important like, to win games this year. Like that. No, that's it, the, no doubt. No the win, doubt. the win tracker coaching is for their becoming, jobs to some degree. Yeah. As, last year, like each year wins become more and more important and we're starting to tilt yeah. the scale a little bit. Yeah. I just so, don't know. Yeah. They've not recruited a DB other than Newton, who I've been like, man, I think he helps them a lot. Mm-hmm. I think Newton could have helped them, but like, yep. I don't know. It just, it's been weird. And it, it, on the surface, it looks like they're taking losses to schools like Houston, K State. Uh, where did Newton land? TCU. TCU. In that, in reality of that, they took a loss to maybe TCU out of those three because they moved yeah. on from Justice Hugo. And I don't know that they were in love with the kid that went to K-State. And for TCU, like, they lost one of their starting corners. Actually, it was the Memphis transfer, TJ Carter, uh, from a year ago. And they had probably the worst, if not one of the worst, pass defenses in Power 5 last year. Uh, More opportunity for playing time at TCU, which if you're a three-year starter and your next step is, I want one more year, Power 5 level to go to the NFL – are you going to a place that, hey, I'm definitely going to start because everyone else in this DB room is trash? Or am I going to go to the place where it's not solid yet, but it's ascending? Like Florida State's cornerback position is getting better, has promising young guys. So, yeah, I think that's ultimately like, I guess it's a loss technically, but I, I don't think, um, like, I don't want to be that. Oh, he didn't want to compete guy. Josh Newton would have been helpful for sure. Um, but this is the first guy I think that that we looked at the defensive backboard that we said could have helped out FSU in a meaningful uh, way. Understanding there's a more direct path somewhere else doesn't mean you weren't willing to compete. It just means you made a essentially a business decision. Yeah, yeah, I would have. Again, you're a three year guy who started three years. Your next step is the NFL after the season. Are you going with the sure thing of I'm going to get 600, 700 snaps, or am I going to go the one where? I could get that, but it might be 300 or 200. Yeah, it's sensible. Um, so who's the JUCO? Who's the JUCO DB that's visiting Zach? I'm sorry, you mentioned that Dane reported it. Uh, what's what's the intel on him? Yeah, so Jaden Pearson, he's out of uh, Reedley Junior College in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, he's ranked as a three-star prospect in the in the 24/7 Sports JUCO rankings, 51 in the country, number eight at safety. He's got offers from FSU offered him um, already, but he's got offers from Colorado State, Fresno State, Hawaii, Indiana, and a few other schools. Um, he says that he's locked in an official visit for the June 24th weekend, uh, which is supposed to have about a dozen uh, prospects on campus. Um, most of those kids are high school 2023 prospects, but looks like he'll be making it in as well. Um, and it seems like uh, defensive coordinator Adam Fuller is leading the charge in that recruitment for FSU. The only other name that I, well, yeah, the only other name that I'd say we should mention on the defensive backboard is the Oregon. Uh, is it 
Damon David. Yeah. So he's yeah. the only other he's the only other one I think of note that's on our radar currently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I reported news that he was being or FSU was interested in him, um, but he's a guy I expect to visit. Uh, if he is going to visit, it'll be in the month of June. Um, he he's another guy that has some academic work I'm told to, to get done. Um, it seems like that's the case with a lot of these, you know, late transfer additions. Um, but he, yeah, I was told that if he is going to visit, it's going to be in the, in the month of June because he's got some stuff to finish up first. It's a lot of that going around, some stuff to finish up going on. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting. It's going to make June interesting. Maybe a pivotal month for FSU, would we say? You love it. You love it too much. <laughs> Speaking of loving it, Chris, talk about talk about the non-football sports, although it's going to be kind of a sad undertone. Uh, unfortunately, well, I think this has become Chris's rapidly Zach from Chris's favorite time of year, even though he denies it to his least favorite time in the last in just one weekend. It just all blew up. Well, that that was a brutal ending for softball to be so good all year, fifty four and five going into Sunday, and to lose two non conference games when you've lost no non conference games all year, and to see it come to an end, uh, it's just not what anybody expected. It's certainly not what that team expected. So the regional in Tallahassee, FSU blows through Howard 8 nothing in five innings, USF 8 nothing in five innings. That's Friday and Saturday's games. Friday sees a no-hitter from Danielle Watson. Saturday sees Catherine Sandercock being as great as she always is for four innings and then Mac Leonard closing it out. Sunday rolls around. you got to beat Mississippi State once and move on to the Super Regionals. First game, FSU loses 5 nothing. Generally pretty lifeless at the plate. I think they finished with two hits, if I remember correctly. Strike zone sucked in that game. A uh, bunch of low strikes called strikes, changing at bat or low pitches called strikes that were not strikes, changing at bats. It wasn't good, but it is what it is. Uh, it was pretty clear when FSU pulled Catherine Sandercock from that game, they were sort of playing to win the second one, uh, barring a comeback. And you you expect a team of FSU's caliber who's been as great as they have been all year to do it in the second game. Second game rolls around, they lose 4-3. And they battled hard. They had a ton of base runners. They just couldn't get him in. A couple base running miscues, leaving base too early, uh, eliminating the runner, causing an out, changing at bats. Those kind of things came back to haunt them, and you know they're done. And Mississippi State moves on. Uh, it, it's just a brutal ending to what was a phenomenal season. It's the ending of Sidney Sherrill's career as well, Dan- Danielle Watson as well, um, and Tomlinson. Uh, it, it's just not what anybody expected. Um, so yeah. Massively disappointing for them, but, you know, I hope people don't forget how good they were for so long this year, but I get it. There's people that are always going to just fall back on what did they do when it mattered most, and they obviously came up short for what they were projected to do or what they certainly expected to do. I remember, Chris, when we talked about the field, you had mentioned Mississippi State had, even though they had a lot of low points this season, had some giant killer mentality to them too. Because um, then they beat Alabama. Yeah, I mean, you play an SEC schedule in softball. If you're in the Pac-12, the SEC, and the ACC is getting there, you're going to be battle tested. You're going to go into postseason and know how to play good teams and compete and do what you need to do. But Sunday was just a good old fashioned one team, Mississippi State. Kind of everything went their way. Everything went right. They got great pitching performances. In general, the defense was pretty solid behind them. They had a couple miscues, but in general, it didn't bite them in the backside. And it went great for FSU, a team that so much this year, everything had gone well, or at least it came through in the end because they kind of were the cardiac kids. None of that came true on Sunday. It was just a tough pill to swallow. All right. From one sad moment to 
You want to talk well, about baseball? Yeah, we're, we're going from one sport where it's really disappointing that it ended to another one where some people just want it to end because Sweet it's relief. kind of excruciating. <laughs> uh, baseball's hitting the ACC tournament right now. Yeah, they had a chance to be a host, but last week decided to go 0 and 4 and play pretty lifeless in their last two losses at UNC. So that kind of ensures that they're almost certainly not going to host, barring hoisting a trophy in Charlotte this week. That team's biggest issue and the issue that's going to probably prevail here moving forward, they're god awful on the road. They're 6 and 13 on the road, 6 and 14 away from Tallahassee this year. They just stink on the road. It's good it's as bad as they've ever been on the road in my life. Some, sometimes you don't have to go super deep into why things are struggling. No, they just, if they're not good they on the road, they're the not road. good on the road. They, yep. They're not a good hitting team in general. They still feel like a little league team too often. They run the bases like idiots at times, and the coach is a big part of that because he sends people, runs them into outs and ends innings, and he's done that all year and hasn't learned from it. Pitching roles have been poorly defined by them. There's not a whole lot you can point to and say, man, they're good at this. Do you want to get Brett on to – to do a little collaboration no. with Sunday Golds to talk about the once the tournament think, is set? I think right now Brett's on about half a bottle and probably a pack of cigs just to get through it. Like, it, it's not been enjoyable. All the rain delays, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> baseball's a weird game. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. It is what it is. But when you're, own worst, you're your own worst enemy, it, it's, a, it's excruciating to watch. And FSU is that in many, many, many ways. They competed gonna, well with Florida, and they competed well with UNC in the first game. And they lost both of those on walk-off home runs. But that game effort on Saturday, the regular season finale, was lifeless. And was it 11, that's a really, 11 really bad sign. Uh, I think it was 10. I mean, oh, I quit watching hard. at like 7. Um, yeah, you're right. It was 11 nothing. They lost 10-4 the day prior. Um, they want to short them. It was just awful. Like, you can't do that. You can't be that. Now, watch. They'll go in the ACC tournament and try to make some noise. Baseball is weird sometimes. But they play Virginia. They play Notre Dame. Both considered top 15 programs by pretty much every poll right now. That's not an easy task. That's You know, FSU was picked to compete for the league title this year. They finished ninth in the regular season standings. That's who they are. I'm going to cut your clip saying they're awful on the road. They run the bases like idiots. I'm going to cut that. And when they advance to the Super Regional and then Omaha, I'm going to play that at the start of each show. That team, in my opinion, baseball, you experiment throughout the year, but you start fine-tuning and figuring out who you are late in the year. I don't think FSU has a clue who they are late in the year right now. That disappoints the living hell out of me. Yeah, that's a toughie. Okay, that's a good note to end this on. Anything else? No, I mean, women's golf is playing uh, match play. They play Texas A&M today. They're one of the final eight in the NCAA tournament. Women's doubles and tennis is going on. Track and field starts later this week. But we're kind of in that uh, outside of baseball doing what they're going to do here over the next week or two, entering that realm of not a whole lot of actual sports being played on the field. Can I get a big meech before we go? Big meech.